How cold does the temperature have to be to trigger hormesis? It's cold outside. What's the best macros for weight loss on keto? You've got fat. How do you stay motivated? And how can you make your brain process information faster? All of this and much more in today's Body Mind Empowerment Podcast Q&A episode. I'm your host Seamland and today I'm going to answer these different questions I got asked on uh, social media and Facebook. We're starting to reach the end of the year and uh, this podcast has also run a little bit more than a year. So it's been good so far and I'm glad that uh, the amount of people listening to this has also increased uh, quite exponentially. But without further ado, let's get to this body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. What would be your ideal meal for lunch? What type of workouts have you been doing? Also, what is your go-to late-night snack? Well, uh, usually I don't really eat anything for lunch, you know, because I practice intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding. So uh, most of my food gets, you know, backloaded into the dinner part. So uh, I don't really have like a sit-down lunch meal that uh, you can consider like a full-on meal. And uh, whenever I do happen to consume something during a day, then it may have to be something like a cup of bone broth, or uh, some green green juice powder or something like that just to uh, get something in me. But I, most of the time I don't even feel hungry and I don't feel the need to eat anything either because of uh, being somewhat uh, very accustomed to uh, intermittent fasting and also the keto diet. I've been doing this sort of a one meal a day sort of thing for uh, over two years, maybe even up to three years by now. And uh, yeah, that's like a very simple way for me to stay productive and uh, stay uh, stay consistent during the day. But before I did OMAD, I did follow the 16 and 8 uh, hour feeding schedule where I would have my first meal during lunchtime and the second one at dinner. The foods that I did eat were still uh, low carb and uh, ketogenic. So uh, what my ideal meal for lunch would be something something very light and uh, not overly taxing on the digestive system. And uh, what I would recommend for people to eat are some maybe like uh, some four four eggs, three to four eggs with some vegetables, and uh, not really consume a lot of meat or something like that because I would I would imagine that it's better to maintain this sort of a semi-fasted state during the daytime and uh, to allow your body to maintain this mild caloric uh, restriction as well because it it will help you to go back into autophagy and ketosis faster despite you having uh, eaten. So yeah, usually whenever you do eat lunch, then uh, keep it like low carb to balance your energy levels, have a little bit of protein and a little bit of fats. Like too much fat can also be somewhat difficult for you to eat so to say and uh, if you are going to plan on working out or something then uh, that lunch can also be some somewhat lower in calories but you, you should make sure that you do have plenty of protein to protect against the catabolic stressor of exercise so somewhat under 500 calories is a good guesstimate that I would uh, aim for when, when, when eating before exercise. What types of workouts have I been doing uh, well, most of the time I do still work out uh, with my own body weight. I do calisthenics, gymnastics, and uh, I get most of the exercise throughout the week. I get done at my home. I have like uh, some kettlebells, some dumbbells, and gymnastics rings and and such. So I don't really on, on like to maintain physical activity and maintain strength I don't really need to go to like the gym I do go to like a real conventional gym to lift barbells and weights for maybe like once or twice a week and uh, that's plenty enough to stimulate muscle growth and uh, that's plenty enough to uh, also bring in some variation into the exercise routine at other times when I'm doing calisthenics then I'm focusing on let's say some higher repetitions, whereas at the gym I would focus primarily on low reps and uh, strength building. So it's a good balance, so to say, like once or twice a week at the gym with uh, heavier weights 
and uh, maybe like once or twice a week at home with kettlebells and calisthenics. And that's all the resistance training uh, that you would need throughout the week. I don't really do a lot of cardio. All the cardio I do comes from like kettlebells or some HIIT type of training. Maybe every once in a while I have like a low intensity steady state cardio session and I go for running maybe like 30 to 45 minutes, but it's not like put into my schedule. I do it like sporadically every once in a while because I do get most of the cardio simply by walking. I go for long walks in nature. I also walk on my treadmill desk and uh, yeah, like it's plenty enough for cardio. High intensity interval training and short Tabata sessions can actually be better for cardiovascular development. But the last question was, what's my go-to late night snack? Uh, Usually I don't really have anything as a snack before going to bed or something like that, because I I don't think it's actually good either. Uh, It's not really advisable to have any, any food before you go to bed, because it can simply, you know, keep you in a fit state for longer, and uh, it will may, may cause some circadian mismatches. So usually the best time frame for stopping food before going to bed is like two to four hours. You should simply have your dinner and close the eating window right then and there, because, you know, the snacking and having extra treats and such, they're somewhat of a bad habit, and they will develop you know, the same sort of bad uh, neuroplastic uh, associations in your brain that is going to equal going to bed with snacking. Snacky snack. Whenever you are eating, then uh, you should eat it and be done with it, so to say. You shouldn't have the option for snacks. And that applies to any other time of the day either. Like, you shouldn't have scheduled snacks because it's simply going to increase the overall uh, caloric uh, load of the day as well as you know develop this bad neuroplastic behavior and uh, creates this habit of oh i need to have snacks and uh, i'm like very mindless about my eating so to say if however you make yourself this rule that i'm not going to snack and i'm only going to eat whenever i'm sitting down and i'm actually eating then it's going to avoid a lot of empty calories and it will also avoid some sort of mental willpower fatigue that you may come across. It's a rule, so to say. It's a positive rule of, okay, I'm simply not going to snack. And uh, that's, that's, that's the end of the story. If, however, I were to have a snack later in the evening, then it would be actually something along the lines of some turmeric latte or something. I would uh, boil some uh, hot water, put some cinnamon and turmeric into my cup and then drink it like some sort of a tea. It's It really tastes really good, and uh, it tastes like hot chocolate almost, but without the caffeine and without the chocolate, because you wouldn't want to have like dark chocolate or uh, cacao in the evening because of the caffeine. But this version of having uh, turmeric and cinnamon is gonna um, still make you taste like it is, like hot chocolate. And it can also help you to wind down and uh, become more relaxed. Next question, what do you do finance-wise? Any tips for saving money and investing? Yeah, a lot of, some people have also been asking about what I do for a living and uh, how I make money. Well, uh, this is it. <laughs> Everything I do on YouTube with my blog, podcast, social media, coaching and such. It is what I do finance-wise. And, uh, you know, the YouTube itself doesn't give me like a significant income or anything. But uh, I simply... It, it's simply building up my personal brand and uh, authority online that I can then use for other income streams. And uh, I would actually say that about 80% of my income is passive income from my books on Amazon, audiobooks, meal plans on my website, affiliates. And the other 20% is like what I do actively, where I have to actively dedicate more time to things like coaching clients, uh, some live events, seminars, or uh, something like that. So most of the time... Uh, I've built up my income streams in the past and at the moment I'm building future income streams so to say with you know writing my next book and uh, doing uh, active coaching and also you know building up my brand in general. Fortunately when I started my blog I took like a lot of action really fast and I built enough streams of income to do this full time. I like literally wrote four books in one month and (laughs) put them on sale on Amazon. At that time, it was like 
three to four years ago, there wasn't that many books about the ketogenic diet. So, so I, I was like managing to rank myself quite high in the rankings. I took advantage of it quite, uh, quite fast. Some additional tips about saving money, though. Uh, the most important thing is probably to stop buying useless things you don't need. Things like extra clothes, different gadgets, cars, whatever it may be. There are so many things people buy that they don't need. Even if they would need it, these things there aren't going to contribute to their financial success in the future. I mean, like a widescreen TV or a really powerful PC isn't going to help you make more money in the future. They can actually make you lose money because of opportunity cost. If you're doing one thing, then you're not doing other things. If you have a TV, then you'll end up watching more of it than if you didn't have a TV. That time you spend on watching TV could have been spent on something more resourceful, like reading books, writing books and selling them on Amazon, working out, attending seminars, or uh, meeting other people in your industry, or whatever it may be. Having a lot of distractions in your life that drain your time and money are gonna keep you poor. That's why you have to invest into buying things that have future value, such as books, online courses, coaching programs, mentorship, and uh, things like that that will actually make you a better person. Not necessarily a better person, but let's say more resourceful and more skillful person, the skills that you can use in the future. So the best investment you can make is an investment into your education and into yourself. You can get by with quite a minimalistic way of uh, living in terms of like the clothes you wear or the cars you drive or what types of food you eat. You can definitely cut down on things like buying Starbucks, eating empty calories and getting different meal replacement supplements that uh, don't really work. Doing fasting and eating low-carb keto are also amazing for a minimalistic way of eating that doesn't break the bank, so to say. Even if quality grass-fed steak is more expensive, you're gonna end up eating less of it because it nourishes you and it satiates you for longer. Even if you do end up consuming fewer calories, then it's going to boost your longevity because, you know, caloric maintenance or eating at some mild caloric restriction is uh, helping with uh, living longer and such and being healthier. So that's for that. Stop buying useless stuff and invest in yourself. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. How do you stay motivated? Well... Most people tend to be motivated by either being pulled towards something or being pushed away from something of uh, this moving away from pain and moving towards pleasure aspect. Uh, I myself am being pulled by all these amazing things I'm going to do in the future and it keeps me, it keeps me motivated. I want to achieve my goals you know, faster and, uh, and to do that, and then I need to stick to all of the routines and habits that may seem boring and may seem somewhat, you know, tedious. The problem with today's day and age is that there's a lot of immediate gratification that uh, goes around. Everyone gets their, everyone wants their immediate results right now. They want to become rich and famous immediately tomorrow. And uh, yeah, like it, it, it's, it's also reinforced by the social media images you, you come across from Instagram and Facebook or whatever it may be. It may seem like everything happens overnight that, you know, someone gets a good YouTube hit and they're instantly famous or someone starts working out and then they're also instantly ripped. That's never the case. Like uh, all of the success and all of the results actually happen over the course of many days, many weeks, months, hours of hard work. And if you teach your brain to focus on immediate gratification and not being satisfied with how fast you're progressing, then you will always kind of suffer from it. You have to acknowledge that uh, the delayed return is where all the magic happens. If you have the aspiration to set big goals, then you also have to have the guts to accept the daily grind and boring routines. Those routines are necessary for achieving those goals. It's never an overnight success. To keep yourself motivated, 
then you have to learn how to love the process itself and uh, do the work because it fulfills you. You don't want to focus on the end results. You want to focus on the process and the progress towards the results. Even if you're doing something you don't really like, you have to remind yourself that it's a part of the process. It's not supposed to be sunshine and rainbows all the way. You're not supposed to have motivation all the time. It would be actually horrible to be super motivated all the time because it would be too easy. Doing things even when you're not motivated is where all the growth and real results happen. When you do something even when you don't feel like it, you're rewiring your brain to staying more disciplined and consistent in the future. On the flip side, quitting and giving into immediate gratification makes it easier for your brain to be less disciplined and less motivated in the future. These moments are literally the most important moments of your life. When you're thinking about whether or not to do what you say you were going to do. If you end up giving in, then you're going to give in the future again. If you stay disciplined and consistent, then it's easier to stick to it in the future as well. And in terms of motivation, then you simply have to ask yourself why. Why are you doing it? Why do you need this goal? Do you actually even need it? What's the purpose or the reason behind it? If you don't feel motivated by a particular end goal, then you may be following the wrong end goal. Motivation itself is a good thing to have, but in order to achieve your goals, you shouldn't make it a necessity, so to say. I generally feel like I am quite motivated and I am quite disciplined, But it's not like I'm super motivated right after waking up and going throughout my days. I don't even actually think about it. Like, I'm focusing on building a system and a set of certain rules and habits that help me to achieve my goals. So the motivation isn't necessary there. I don't feel worried about not having motivation. And I'm not feeling overly excited about having motivation either. It's not a requirement. It's optional. And uh, whenever it is there, then I'll, you know, use it. (laughs) But I'm not, you know, being dependent on on being motivated. So building enough routines and habits, having good structured uh, disciplines is where, where you allow your brain to do the work despite feeling motivated or not. For me, my daily routines and other habits are helping me to kind of structure these uh, all these processes and uh, they keep me consistent and ultimately I credit most of my success to those routines and habits. If you want to know how you can do the same for you then you can check out my morning routine video course on Udemy. It's gonna tell you how to set the right goals, how to optimize your body, how to increase your energy, how to put yourself into the right mindset and also how to overcome this motivation aspect. So definitely check it out. The link is in the show notes. But next question. What do you know about keto and high cholesterol? Yeah, it is quite a controversial topic, so to say. And some people may experience having higher cholesterol levels, especially LDL cholesterol when they're going keto. There are different types of cholesterol and uh, it's carried around the body by lipoproteins. Very low-density lipoproteins, or VLDL, delivers triglycerides and cholesterol throughout the body to be stripped off from energy or for storage. Intermediate-density lipoprotein, or IDL, helps to transport cholesterol and fats, but its density is between that of LDL and VLDL. Low-density lipoprotein, or LDL, carries energy through the bloodstream and directs nutrients into the cells. High-density lipoprotein HDL collects unused cholesterol from the blood and brings it back to the liver for recycling. HDL is considered to be the healthy one and LDL is considered the bad one. And it is true that you know high cholesterol levels are considered a significant risk factor for heart disease, heart attacks, atherosclerosis and uh, higher mortality. How big of a role does dietary cholesterol play in this is uh, somewhat controversial and uh, it may not be that significant. The body uses VLDL to transport fatty acids and triglycerides and cholesterol around the bloodstream to either burn them off for energy or use in other cellular processes. Once the delivery has occurred, 
VLDL remodels itself into LDL. If there are more cholesterol and triglycerides in your blood due to diet, then it's still going to be brought back down because of using them for cells. On a low-carb keto diet, the body uses triglycerides for energy because there's not much glucose around. Triglycerides are transported to the cells by VLDL, which turns into LDL. VLDL contains both cholesterol, triglycerides and fat-soluble vitamins. Basically, if you're using more fat for fuel, then you're gonna be having higher fatty acids in the blood. Cholesterol just happens to be along for the ride because there isn't a special carrier for different fats and cholesterol separately. Low-carb ketogenic diets have been found to not lower LDL cholesterol, but they do increase LDL particle size from small to large and decrease VLDL. These things can, have been shown to have positive effects on heart health. You can make the argument that high cholesterol leads to atherosclerosis because the plaques are created by cholesterol buildup. However, the root cause of the issue is inflammation and arterial scarring in the first place. If you have lower inflammation and C-reactive protein, then cholesterol would simply be transported around the body by VLDL. And uh, if it's not needed for nutrition, it will be transited back to the liver by HDL. Keto diets actually may increase HDL, which will help with the removal of LDL from the blood. Therefore, the key to heart disease prevention is to avoid inflammation and that foods that promote arterial scarring. At the same time, it doesn't mean that too much cholesterol can't damage your health. It's still involved in the process of atherosclerosis. So here's what you can do to avoid that. You should eliminate all sugars and carbs, lower your inflammation, avoid chronic stress and sleep deprivation, and avoid oxidized fats. Don't overcook and process your food either. If you char your meat or overcook the food, then you're going to increase the number of carcinogens and you can promote oxidation. Overcooking eggs, like on a frying pan, they can definitely oxidize the cholesterol and uh, thus promote inflammation. That's why whenever you do eat eggs, they should be somewhat undercooked and uh, you primarily cooked on sunny side up. I'm definitely not an expert on cholesterol and uh, you shouldn't take this as real medical advice. But you can check out some of the other podcast episodes that I had with uh, Dave Feldman and Ivor Cummins. They may show some more insight into the role of cholesterol and uh, why it may rise when going on low-carb keto. Through concentration, I can raise and lower my cholesterol at will. Why would you want to raise your cholesterol? So I can lower it. Uh, will any metabolic response break a fast or kick me out of autophagy? Uh, no, not really. Like uh, You can set off the metabolic reactions or you can set off uh, the circadian rhythms even without consuming like a significant amount of food for instance uh, let's say you know, drinking tea or coffee or something like that will set off some of the liver enzymes that you know registers as if you've been eating something uh, but it's not going to stop autophagy it can actually stimulate autophagy like herbal teas and uh, those sorts of things they're very good for stimulating this process and uh, keeping keeping yourself still in like a fast state without breaking it completely even though it's gonna stimulate some of the digestive uh, processes what app do you use for tracking macros i don't i don't really like specifically count my macros exactly but uh, i use i use uh, my fitness pal usually just because of convenience i've heard like chronometer is probably you know more more useful because it's going to tell you all the micronutrients and other other vitamins and such as well but uh, i haven't paid that much attention to that you know i simply keep in track of my blood work and and see if i have like any deficiencies not not not, not on a not on a daily basis i don't like look at because then like if you eat a very limited variety of foods then you can already know that you are getting all the vitamins and uh, minerals you need uh, you know if you if you if you if you were to eat different types of foods every day then 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 you would have to kind of make sure you have to fix the deficiencies or such but you know as long as you've kind of gone through the trial and error as long as you've uh, made your own uh, you know changes to your diet and you can see that okay these foods 
these foods work and they, they're going to cover most of the stuff that I need. And usually for that, me, for me, those things are like uh, primarily like eggs, fish, some meat and vegetables and uh, a bit of like healthy fats, but not, not, all, not all that. So uh, with the bread light therapy, is it best clothed or unclothed? Uh, well, if you if you were to use it without clothes, then uh, you would penetrate your tissue more deeply. Like the the clothes are simply gonna block it out a little bit, uh, but you know it would penetrate through the clothes as well, but not not entirely. So the best way to use it would be to mm, use it without the clothes and. Uh, and uh, sit sit in front of it for like uh, about you know 15 to 20 minutes that's that's plenty plenty enough what can you tell us about coconut water fasting uh well coconut water is like primarily sugar so that's like defeats the most of the purpose of the fasting like i don't see any i don't see any practical value from it you would be much better off by simply doing regular regular fasting and uh you could also say that if you do coconut water fasting, then you will also lose more muscle, and uh, you're gonna not even get autophagy that much because you know that sugar is is gonna probably, if not, it's not maybe not gonna kick you in, out of ketosis entirely, but it's still gonna keep you in this semi semi catabolic state all the time because you're burning that sugar that uh, that you get from the coconut, mm, and it's definitely not you know worth it. It's not useful even. It's not gonna help you to fast longer. Like, uh, the only thing that would help you to fast longer is, like, the adding some salts and electrolytes to your water, not not sugar. <laughs> because, yeah, it's, 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 it's quite useless. Will a little splash of coconut milk in my coffee break my intermittent fast? Uh, well, I have a video about it, like, that talks quite in-depth about, you know, does Bulletproof coffee break a fast? Well, technically adding any calories will break the fast and uh, it's not gonna necessarily break ketosis you will definitely stay in ketosis but uh, it may potentially inhibit autophagy as well uh, in terms of like the coconut milk versus something like butter or mct oil then uh, the coconut milk would be more more detrimental for autophagy and ketosis as well because coconut milk has uh, like more carbs versus like butter and MCT oil is like pure fat. Uh, pure fat can maintain some autophagy, like 100% fat if it's like under 100 calories or something like, it's called like chaperone-mediated autophagy. It's like a different type of autophagy that can use ketones to sustain itself. So uh, it can maintain this fat fasted state, uh, but um, that would also depend on like the energetic energetic demands of your body at that particular moment or the nutrient signaling of that of your body at that particular moment for instance if you were to be more physically active a fastest state like you go for a short little walk or you do like a workout then uh, after that workout you would have like a bigger buffer zone where you would maintain autophagy so like having that because like it's gonna be, the exercise itself is is gonna induce autophagy even further and it's gonna put you into deeper autophagy and uh, you have like a bigger bigger buffer zone where you can get away with calories. So if you have like this sort of a bulletproof drink after a workout in a fasted state or something, then you would stay in like this sharper mediated autophagy a little bit a uh, bit longer. Versus if you were to take that morning coffee without having moved around at all, like straight after waking up then you would experience uh, definitely like more mm, more inhib inhibition of autophagy because your body doesn't need that much energy you've been in you've been sleeping like it's not going to use that fat it's not it's not it's not necessary to keep itself alive but basically coconut milk will break the fast but uh, whether or not it's a big deal depends on your like your goals of the fast if you want to lose fat like burn body fat then uh, it's not gonna matter that much as long as you like maintain a caloric deficit uh, for the rest of the day. If it's gonna help you to fast for longer and you know eat less food later, then yeah, it, it would be worth it. But it's not necessary and uh, it's not gonna benefit you further 
in a sense. It's simply like calories and like appetite suppression. Next question. What are your thoughts on a weekly cheat meal with moderate carbs? Will it still take a few days to get back into ketosis or is it dose dependent? Depends on what you mean by having a cheat meal because some people consider having even just a few baked potatoes as a cheat meal, especially on keto. But like you said, moderate carbs, uh, in that case, I I do think that it is a good idea to cycle on and off from keto every once in a while, not as a long-term thing, but simply having a higher carb meal every week or every other week is going to be a good metabolic flexibility exercise. And it definitely doesn't have to be like a full-on cheat meal with uh, unlimited amount of carbs or something like that, because that can be still damaging, especially if you do it every week. Like having a strategic carb up or a carb refeed with some healthier carbs like potatoes or rice or quinoa, that can be really good and uh, that can be very especially effective for physical performance and also like metabolic flexibility. In terms of ketosis, it's not going to take you like uh, that long to get back into ketosis after even eating carbs either. It would depend on like how many carbs you do eat, uh, but uh, generally eating about 100 to 200 grams of carbs wouldn't keep you out of ketosis any longer than maybe one day. Whenever I myself have like maybe like 200 grams of carbs, then I'm already in ketosis by the next evening. If I were to have maybe like over 300 grams of carbs and also like processed foods and such, then yeah, it may take me like a longer time. So if you were to have less than 100 grams of carbs, then you would practically be in ketosis by the next morning already because the the amount of carbs is that small and it, it doesn't affect ketosis almost at all. Next question, how can you make your brain process information and uh, learn faster? Well, first of all, you have to focus on the purely physical side of keeping your brain healthy and uh, optimal. And the best things for that are, you know, sleeping enough, you know, the best nootropic (laughs) there is actually having like a good night's sleep and not sleep depriving yourself because your cognition and uh, attention span and all those things, they're very demanding processes. Secondly, like exposing yourself to natural sunlight, getting enough vitamin D, some healthy fats from uh, fish that can also be very good for priming the body to function at its peak. Exercise is also like a nootropic because it uh, raises BDNF and uh, grows new brain cells. So cardio and even HIIT type of, st- type of training they will literally like light up your brain and uh, you will think faster after after exercise. When it comes to coffee and caffeine, then large doses of caffeine will actually be counterproductive and they may have like a negative side effect because you're going to crash and burn. So if you want to keep your brain more alert during the day, then smaller doses of caffeine would be much beneficial. If we were to move towards more of the neuroplasticity side, and then uh, the best thing for that would be simply going through sheer amounts of repetitions and uh, exposing yourself to situations where you are required to have like accelerated learning. There's a saying that neurons that fire together are wired together, which is exactly how this learning and information processing occurs. What you don't use, you're going to lose. And if you're used to thinking slowly, or uh, if you're used to being distracted, then that's how your brain is going to end up being. It's the result of pure necessity. If, however, you do condition yourself to think more faster, limit your distractions, stay disciplined, stay consistent, and also continuously keep learning, then you're going to retain that information much better as well. So what I do is, um, whenever I'm listening to audiobooks, then I'm also listening to them at faster speed. And funny enough, it actually makes you think more faster. Because if you're listening to something on a faster speed, then you're kind of forced to pick up your own thought processes. It's literally the exposure effect of what you get exposed to the most you're going to end up becoming. Next question. Your favorite herbs and spices that you add every day to your food. So yeah, I don't have like a bunch of herbs and spices, but some of the things I do use are, you know, chaga, reishi, turkey tail, and some cordyceps. Those things uh, I do kind of add into my diet or into my meals 
virtually every day. They don't have any negative side effects in terms of uh, adapting to them or such. Other herbs and spices I use are things like ashwagandha for, again, lowering the stress and uh, adapting to future stress, but also like cinnamon for blood sugar regulation, black pepper for the spices, turmeric for neurogenesis and uh, lowering inflammation, ginger, ginseng, and uh, that's basically it. Some actual herbs that I may season my food with would be like rosemary, thyme, or parsley. One thing to pay attention to is to not take these these, uh, medicinal compounds like turmeric and ginger around your workouts. You don't want to have like antioxidants and uh, lower inflammation when you're coming from working out because you need the positive hormetic stress to actually get stronger. So I wouldn't take my chagas or, or reishis either during my food. During the food, I would use only like the conventional uh, spices like black pepper, cayenne pepper and herbs. If I'm not working out, then I may add the turmeric and uh, something to my food, but uh, not, not when I'm trying to you know gain strength or build muscle. Next question, how cold does the temperature have to be and for how long of a duration in the cold does it take to activate cold shock proteins, hormesis and FOXO3? Uh, I'm not sure about the cold shock proteins, but uh, I do get your point, so to say that how long do you have to stay in the cold to trigger like a beneficial response of hormesis and this FOXO3? FOXO3 or these FOXO proteins are these transcription factors that get activated during stress adaptation and they have like longevity boosting benefits that basically help your body to cope with stressors uh, better. Cold is a one way of activating hormesis and uh, foxoproteins. How long does it take? Well, that would have to depend on your own subjective uh, level of adaptation, so to say, how well adapted you are to the cold, or in the case of fasting, how well adapted you are to not eating and fasting. If you're not really used to it, if you start to shiver right away, then uh, it's going to take you less time to have a positive effect because you have like a bigger room for growth. The stronger your immune system becomes, the stronger or the, the more hormetically stronger you become, the, the longer you have to kind of stay in the cold as well. The mechanism is the same as with, you know, the brain and uh, other habits as well. What you don't use, you're going to lose because your body doesn't really want to expend energy on becoming cold adapted if it doesn't feel the need to. If you do have uh, frequent and strong signals from your environment that require certain adaptations, then uh, the body will prioritize those adaptations much more so than if you were to have if you weren't to weren't to have any stimulation. In general, it's not going to be very long to trigger these beneficial effects. Even just a few minutes will do, and uh, that will activate these foxoproteins. You don't need to stay in the ice bath for like. 15 minutes or you don't have to stay under the cold shower for 10 minutes until you can't even move anymore. The frequency is actually much more uh, important in uh, adapting to the stress because uh, if if you do it only once then there isn't enough stimulus but if you do it every day or every other day then the body will recognize the necessity for adapting to it uh, much more. So frequency is uh, more important than uh, intensity. You don't know cold. And also you have to kind of take that into account of not adapting too much to it, so to say. If you want to keep gaining the beneficial uh, longevity benefits of FOXO3 and hormesis, then then you don't want to become so cold adapted that you're not going to trigger these pathways anymore. For instance, I would imagine that Wim Hof he doesn't even break a sweat when he is sitting in his ice bath, you know, figurative, figuratively speaking. But yeah, like if, if you're very used to the cold and you're doing it all the time, then your body's going to become less responsive to it in the future. So kind of cycling back and forth with it and uh, losing your adaptation every once in a while can be beneficial because you're going to regain your sensitivity. And that applies to other hormetic stressors as well, like lifting weights, caloric restriction, and intermittent fasting as well. You don't want to become so efficient at burning calories that you're going to down-regulate your metabolism. You want to bump it up a little bit every once in a while so that your body would 
wouldn't, you know, slow down the thyroid or it wouldn't go into starvation mode. As crazy as it is, sometimes you don't want to be hormetically stressed out. So changing the pattern or taking a little big break from uh, cold exposure or heat exposure or lifting weights is gonna help to resensitize yourself to those effects. And the same applies to fasting. Sometimes you may benefit from having more frequent meals and sometimes you would you would want to focus on simply restricting it. It is a bit nippy. Next question. Next question. What do you recommend in terms of diet advice or protocols to heal IBD and autoimmune conditions? So IBD, it stands for inflammatory bowel disease. And uh, it's this broad term that refers to chronic swelling and inflammation in the intestines. It's, it's not the same as irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. They have similar symptoms like abdominal pain, cramps, constipation, diarrhea and so on. But uh, IBD also has signs of inflammation throughout the body and, you know, arthritis and joint pain that is accompanied by it. To treat that, you would uh, definitely want to avoid all fried foods, don't overcook your food, don't uh, drink coffee, don't drink alcohol, don't eat too high-fat foods, don't eat too many carbs, uh, don't eat spicy foods, don't eat dairy, don't consume artificial sweeteners. Don't uh, do anything that may trigger some uh, irritation or inflammation in the gut. Like stuffing your face with even healthy food can cause uh, some digestive distress and it can make the condition worse. What you can do instead is uh, increase your water intake to kind of help with the bowel movements. Keep your stress low to not cause like a fight or flight response that would, you know, cause constipation and shut down digestion. You want to practice stress management and uh, relaxation like meditation and maybe taking a massage or going to a spa. In terms of diet, you want to eat things that are easily digestible, like some cooked vegetables. You shouldn't have like raw vegetables or too many salads because too much fiber can also clog up the system, so to say, and cause more inflammation. Instead, I would focus more on maybe like some fish and some eggs. Those are more easily digested than than meat even. So like limiting your meat might may not be necessary, but it can help in some situations. I would imagine that fish is easier to digest than uh, just meat. Taking some digestive enzymes can also help uh, with digestion processes. And following like a zero fiber elimination diet for a short period of time can help with the healing, so to say. Or at least it can prevent any additional autoimmune uh, conditions. Fasting can help, but uh, you would have to make sure that you're getting ad adequate amounts of nutrition and you're not going to lower your thyroid because of the fasting. Next question, what's the best macro ratio in keto for weight loss? Yeah, the keto diet is used uh, a lot for uh, rapid weight loss and, uh, and uh, also battling diabetes and such. But some people may simply hit some plateaus or they may actually gain weight if they do some things wrong. The standard keto macros are something along the lines of 5 to 10% carbs, 15 to 20% protein and uh, 70 to 80% fat. This is the therapeutic keto range where uh, the goal is to stay in deep ketosis and have elevated levels of ketones. But for fat loss, it's not going to be necessary so to say like ketones themselves aren't gonna make you burn fat or being in ketosis doesn't equal fat loss you still have to create some sort of an energy deficit eating the keto diet is simply a good way to create that deficit because it's you know satiating it gives you energy it prevents any sugar cravings and it's so easy to stick to but for weight loss then uh, it would be better to kind of adjust your macros a little bit your carbs should still be low at about 20 to 30 grams net, which is going to help you to maintain this ketogenic state. Protein is also quite limited. Your body needs only a certain amount of protein a day, and uh, eating more isn't going to convert it into sugar. But, you know, protein is still calories that can be either burnt off as energy or stored as fat. Usually the best ranges would be somewhere around 0.8 to 1.0 grams. You don't need any more, 
and you don't want to be eating less either because higher, slightly higher protein is going to benefit uh, weight loss because of increasing satiety and also increasing the thermic effect of what you eat. Protein burns more calories than other macronutrients and increasing your protein while dieting is also critical for maintaining muscle tissue because if you lose your muscle, they're gonna, then you're going to lower your caloric requirements for the day and that's going to basically make it harder for you to keep dieting. That's why resistance training, especially while eating at a caloric deficit, is quite important. Fat should be used as a leverage for your goals. If you want to lose body fat, then you can lower your daily fat consumption a little bit and that can help you to create a caloric deficit more easily. Too much fat in the diet can still make you fat. And ketosis isn't magic. Fat. Adding a bunch of extra fat and oils or bulletproof coffee into your diet it's simply going to increase your overall daily caloric consumption. If you skip them out, or if you were to focus on simply eating fattier cuts of meat, then uh, you would create a caloric deficit more easily, and you would avoid all the extra fats while still keeping your protein relatively high. You shouldn't feel the obligation or the necessity to be consuming more fat just because someone told you to. Fat is it? When getting fat adapted via carnivore diet, will I be fat adapted to keto too? Uh, well, well, when you're doing the carnivore diet, then uh, you will be fat adapted in a sense that because you're not you're like eating zero carbs and uh, you're not getting them from your diet. Uh, you, you you do get some carbs from like the gluconeogenesis of protein and um, like some of the carbs in muscle meat as well, like very tiny amounts, but. Uh, you will still primarily be running on like uh, fat and ketone bodies. So th with the carnivore diet, you would be keto adapted, but you wouldn't be in ketosis. Like there's a difference between them. Uh, being in ketosis is like the actual uh, range of having this certain amount of blood ketones in your blood. Yeah, that's like indicative of this, of the, of your metabolic, you know, condition. But uh, being keto adapted is the ability or the degree by which your body can use fatty acids and ketones for fuel. So you can be keto adapted without being necessarily in ketosis. And uh, you, can, you can be in ketosis without being keto adapted. So keto adaptation is the result of, you know, doing the diet for like a long period of time. You can't really measure it. You can only, you can, you, well, you can measure it if you look up the study of... Uh, of this uh, faster endurance athletes by Jeff Wollek and such, he showed that these uh, keto adapted athletes who had done the keto diet for like six months, they were able to increase their um, mean VO2 max, or like they, they were able to increase the threshold at which they were able to burn fatty acids during uh, high intensity exercise. When usually, let's say carb, adapt carb adapted people, they can burn uh, fat only until the point of 65% of their VO2 max. Then the keto-adapted athletes, they were able to still burn fatty acids at about 75 to 80% of the VO2 max. So they were increasing the threshold at which their body could use fat during high-intensity exercise. So that's the difference, uh, that your body will become more efficient at using those ketones and fatty acids. And uh, on a carnivore diet, you will experience mild ketosis sometimes when you would fast because like there is no glycogen and uh, you would also uh, be more keto adapted in a sense that the, the main energy source you get is still coming from like fatty acids and like fatty pieces of meat meat it, it would be actually kind of a, like a more hybrid 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 approach where you where you use some glycogen or some of the glucose from gluconeogenesis and uh, some of the some of the ketones from the fat do you think that toxins in our body fat build up over many years of prior eating of bad fats like margarine and hydrogenated oils? Uh, well, it's true that you, all of your cells are made of some fat and uh, they're made of the fat that you ate, basically. So you are made of the fat that you eat. So if you are eating like inflammatory fats and things like margarine and vegetable oils, then you will be <laughs> your body will be made of those things in a sense and that's why it's also so critical to pay more attention to like quality fats 
And in terms of fats, then yeah, fats tend to be more dangerous if they are like uh, rancid or inflammatory. So whether or not they're going to build up in your fat tissue, um, maybe like a little bit, yeah. So it's it's not going to be, it's, it's going to be replaced eventually through, you know, burning burning that fat or uh, do, during the process of autophagy as well. You, you may be converting them back into energy, but it's going to take like a longer time. So usually I've heard like something that even as a few months, if you consume some bad fats or inflammatory fats, then those fats will stay around in your system for like the f few months that are in the future. So <laughs> those cheat days or something like that, they aren't, aren't a good idea. Uh, dark side of autophagy, does stopping IF sometimes and refeeding carbs help to avoid this? Uh, no, it, you, if, if, to, to avoid this sort of uh, this uh, hijacking process of autophagy by cancer cells, then you would have to fix the circadian rhythms and fix your mitochondria and uh, fix your you know energy production and uh, things like that. That will help it. And uh, refeeding on carbs can fit into it I do think that uh, it would be, you know, smarter and wiser to have some days where you do c consume like uh, more more carbs, and uh, it's gonna be beneficial for both, both like uh, as well. It's, it can help to promote like mitochondrial functioning in the future and uh, other other uh, pathways. For instance, uh, insulin itself isn't always bad. Insulin is also needed for for uh, you know, living and uh, shuttling energy around the system, and uh, sometimes the carbs will be useful for that. But yeah, that was the last question as well. If you're interested, in, if you're interested in actually following a certain set of macronutrient ratios for losing fat and building muscle on keto, then check out my keto. It's gonna give you the exact macronutrient ratios and also what foods to eat, how many calories do they have, how much protein, how much fats, and how to work out as well. So. It's uh, amazing for fat loss as well as uh, maintenance. But other than that, that's it for this Q&A episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support this podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. We also have a Patreon account and a Facebook group. Thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for future episodes. Stay empowered. <laughs> Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter. Quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind.